Hi, welcome to the 13th Warehouse, Friday the 13th TV series edition. I'm Vicki. And I'm Kim. And these are the episode credits for Friday the 13th, the series, season three, episode one, The Prophecies, part one. Series created by Frank Mancuso Jr. and Larry B. Williams, written by Tom McLaughlin, directed by Tom McLaughlin. Original air date, October 7th, 1989. Kim is a little under the weather today, but she wanted to proceed with the recording. So if she sounds a little quieter than normal, I tried to turn her up as much as I could without making her sound like she was underwater. Or if she's not talking as much as usual, that's why. But she did want to continue on. So here we go. So we're back with Season 3, Episode 1, The Prophecies Part 1. Now... Kim and I have DVDs. They're obviously not first-run version because the prophecies were put together as one episode on the DVDs. That was a lot. We didn't want this episode to go on forever. So we tried to figure out where the first episode would end. We could be wrong. So next week is going to pick up from where we ended this week. It was just a guess based on the time of the episode and what I thought was kind of like a cliffhanger. So... If we're wrong, we're wrong. There's nothing we could do about it. If you haven't watched this episode for some reason, then maybe wait till after we post next week's to watch one and two together because we don't know if we ended in the right place. Apparently, these were aired together originally. Okay. But on the first run DVD that went out, they were separated. But we don't have the first run, obviously, because it's, what, 30 years later. You know, we just have whatever version we have So they weren't separated. There is a point where they are separated into two episodes. We just don't know where that ends. Kim kind of figured it out, but it's too late now because I only watched up until a certain point. (laughs) So that's where we're ending. So we're finally back with the third season. Jack arrives at a hotel in France. He's a few days early for the Feast of Marie Mary because he's hoping to meet a nun named Sister Adele before the feast begins. So looking at the scenes they were showing us, At the beginning, the rocks and the crutches and the other things displayed on it, it looks like a place where people come on pilgrimages to get healed. The hotel clerk asks Jack if he was there to be healed, but Jack tells him he's doing research on spiritual phenomena. The town's church bells begin ringing wildly wildly at 3.33 a.m. Jack wakes up and runs outside, as do most of the people in the town. Over at the convent, one nun is praying, while another nun seems to be having nightmares or fits. Someone we don't see reads a prophecy about his arrival and three messengers. And I'm going to put a clip here because I'm just paraphrasing. And in the first prophecy, it was written that three messengers should herald his arrival, and the most blessed among them would be the first to feel his power. One shall speak of his coming, another shall prepare his path, and shall make way for his return. And the last shall make way for his return. When he says the last will make the way for his return, the nun who is struggling or having nightmares sits up in the bed and screams. But it's more like an evil growl. She goes to the room of the praying nun and her eyes look like demon eyes. The man keeps reciting something about Sister Adele as if he's guiding the nun. The younger nun prays harder. The possessed nun attacks her. Another nun runs in to help her. So the unknown man continues his spell, or whatever you want to call it, and a priest runs in and yells things, I guess trying to expel the demon. The possessed nun stops attacking and sort of slides down the wall. The voice says that the prophecy has come to pass, and the one that slid down the wall dies. 
So I was trying to, and I shouldn't have, but I was trying to figure out who was the three he was talking about and what their parts were. Is it two of the nuns and the priest? That's what I'm assuming. So one was supposed to have felt the power first. So I figured that was the praying nun, but maybe not. It could have been the screaming nun, the one who turned. And one was supposed to speak of his coming and the last was supposed to make way for him. So I'm not really sure which is supposed to be which or if any of them are the messengers in the prophecy. But it seems like when all that was over, he says, and the first prophecy came to pass. So all of those three people must have played a part. I just don't really get which part they played. It's clearer in the other prophecies later on, but this one wasn't that clear. Who was the nun that made the way? Was it the one that died? You know, I'm not sure. It's it's kind of confusing, and it was also dark. There's some things you can take two different ways. Like the one who felt it first, I immediately thought it was the praying nun because she was praying so hard. But if you look at it a different way, it could have been the nun who got possessed. She was the one who felt it first. I think she's first. But we could say the possessed nun made the way because she died. Mm-hmm. But it could also be the priest that made the way by doing whatever he did to expel the demon, if it was him that did it. So I don't know. Yeah. There was too many ways to take it for these three people. Yeah, it was a lot. And that's why I'm glad we split this up. I would have still been sitting there. Yeah, I understand. (laughs) Yeah, so there was a lot of ways to take this one. The other ones later on are a little more clearer. But this one was confusing because I couldn't figure out who was supposed to be what messenger. Or is it none of them? Because as we move on, I was convinced the three messengers were these three people because after every prophecy, the guy says, and the prophecy came to pass which leads you to believe that what's happening is the prophecy. And that's kind of the way it feels in the other prophecies he reads. But this one, I don't know if it's these three people. Later on, I'm almost thinking one's Jack or one's the blind guy and one's Ryan. So I'm not sure what's going on. I'm pretty sure one of them's the nun. In this part of the podcast, I'm calling her the praying nun because at this point, I didn't know this was Sister Adele. I'm only speculating on these three people because after all this happens, he says the prophecy is complete, which makes me think that what happened was about these three people he was talking about. Maybe that's not the case. So back in the States at the store, Johnny shows up and jokingly scares Mickey. He's looking for an apartment because his is being torn down. Mickey tells him where Jack is in France. Johnny knows all about this place. The nun that Jack wants to speak with apparently had a vision there 10 years ago which is what made her decide to become a nun. And Jack wants to know what she saw in her vision. Mickey says that Ryan's at the cemetery visiting his brother's grave. He always gets depressed around this time of year. So we move to Ryan at the cemetery and a flashback of his brother's accident, which we saw, I can't remember the name of the episode, but was that the lighthouse one? Oh, Lord. No, no, it was the one, there was a little boy and I can't think, the scarecrow, right? I remember the little boy, but I can't remember. I think it was the scarecrow one, right? It could be, but I don't remember it having anything to do with Ryan. They were in some town, I remember, some small town when Ryan told the story about the baseball because Mickey brought the baseball and he didn't know why. And then he told her the story. So the only reason I'm thinking it was the Scarecrow is because it had that little kid at the end who we didn't know where he was going to live. We knew he was going to be with the sheriff, but... Uh, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't he give him the baseball? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. So we already saw this flashback about his brother's death. So Ryan's mother shows up at the cemetery. And I could swear that they said she was dead when we had the episode with his father. Back in the day, you know, when somebody left, they said they died. True. So they may have said she died. That could have been she left. 
you know, and you're dead to her. Like, you know, you're dead to me. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Because I was like, where did this mother come from? I thought she was dead. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. But apparently he must have thought she was dead, maybe. He did. But either way, he hasn't seen her since his brother died. She apologizes for blaming him for the accident. She says she couldn't bear to be around him or his father after his brother died. So he's been carrying this guilt around. So that explains a little bit about Ryan. She tells him that she's been having nightmares about losing him and that she had to see him. I was kind of thinking it was shady for her to just show up all of a sudden. But, and this is going to be a little bit cryptic because spoilers. But as I've said more than once, there's one specific scene I'm sure I remember in the series. But since I don't remember the episode, and I assume it's coming up in the next few episodes, other than that scene and what that means for the show, I always had questions about it. And I know this isn't making any sense to anyone who hasn't seen the rest of the series, but but we were, I'm pretty sure, led to believe Ryan's parents were both dead. So when his mother shows up, and once I thought about it more, I'm thinking that this might make sense and answer the questions I've had about the scene I remember. And I know that makes absolutely no sense. Kim knows some of what I'm talking about. I didn't give her details. So she's probably as much in the dark as everybody listening. So at first I thought she was creepy, but now I'm thinking she's serving a purpose that I always had questions about later when the scene comes up. And I don't know if it's going to be next week. I don't know if it's going to be the week after, but it should be coming pretty soon. So I'll explain what I meant when we get there. Mm. We've talked about the reasons Ryan is like he is and how he's so needy. And I remember saying long before we met his father that he must have abandonment issues. Yes. And when we met his father, we knew that he never thought he was good enough for his father to approve of. But we didn't know that his mother had also left him and blamed him for his brother's death. So that explains a lot. Mm -hmm. So over in France, Jack tries to see Sister Adele, but the priest tells him that she's not seeing anyone until after the feast. Jack asks him about the bells the night before, and the priest tells him that it was a mechanical problem that's been corrected. But when Jack gets outside, a woman who overheard Jack's conversation with the priest tells Jack that Satan wants Sister Adele and that Jack must tell people. Which also made me think that Jack was the messenger. Because she said, Jack must tell people. But when the nun died, the guy said that the first prophecy was completed. So I'm not sure if that makes sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I spent too much time trying to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes you just got to watch it and let it go. Just let it go. <laughs> so she tells Jack that three sisters have died trying to kill her. So other sisters have died before this. She tells him that tonight they have to hide her from the demons. The priest interrupts before she could tell Jack anything else. Later that night, Jack sees the priest with a suitcase taking Sister Adele away from the convent. He follows them to a house. Inside, the priest is blessing the place while they argue about whether this is all for nothing. He accuses her of giving up. And she tells him she's not giving up. She's putting her faith in his power. But at 3.33, the bells start ringing again and Jack is still outside watching the house. The voice reads another prophecy about the fourth night. Something about the demon on earth returning to the beast. And on the fourth night, the beasts were filled with his unholy presence. For he shall rule them, and dominion on earth shall return to the beast. So Sister Adele and the priest pray while Jack watches a possessed dog running toward the house and jumping through the window. The dog attacks the priest, but Jack comes in and stabs it with the fireplace poker, which causes the unknown man to pause whatever he's reciting. His voice comes out of the dog 
And I really don't know what he said, but later we find out it was Nima, which is amen backwards. Mm-hmm. The dog dies, and the man says that the second prophecy has come to pass. So first I'm thinking he stopped because Jack intervened, but apparently whatever Jack did still made the prophecy come to pass. Oh, well, that's what I thought, too. Yeah, but then after the dog dies, he says the second prophecy has come to pass. So was Jack killing the dog part of the prophecy, or it just didn't matter if the dog died and the prophecy was still fulfilled? I'm not sure. Apparently that was all supposed to happen or something. Yeah. So in the morning, no one seems to be out on the road, and it seems like everyone is in church. The priest is giving mass, but he's looking very upset. Meanwhile, Jack is in the back room trying to get information out of Sister Adele. He tells her that she can trust him. He has experience in things like this. The nun tells him that they were in God's hands, but Jack tells her the word that came from the dog was Nima, which is amen backwards. And he says worshipers of Satan recite words backwards. He also said that whatever it was took possession of every animal in town. Now, I don't know about you, but I only saw one dog. Yeah, we only saw one dog. Yeah, where's the whole possession of all the animals in town? You would expect a gang of animals to be roaming around or whatever. So the nun tells Jack that he, whoever the man is, is not reading from scriptures. When the Blessed Mother appeared to me, she dedicated the waters of our shrine to God's works, and I dedicated my life to his service. She warned me this day was coming. That ten years after her visit, we would be visited by another. Who? Sister, who? One of God's fallen angels, Astaroth. He has walked the earth for centuries, doing Lucifer's work and awaiting for this moment. Now he fulfills the prophecies of Satan, his master. She tells Jack that the Blessed Mother in her vision warned her that in ten years after the visit, he would come. He would be Astaroth, a fallen angel. And I meant to look it up before we got online to see if that's an actual angel's name. Do you know? No, I don't. If I find it, I'll put it on the website. He's been doing Satan's work for centuries and waiting for his time. The prophecies are Satan's prophecies from the Book of Lucifer. He possesses the Book of Lucifer, the Devil's Bible. In its revelations are six prophecies. If they are fulfilled, Satan will ascend onto the earth. Last night was the second prophecy. I hear and now. If Satan can corrupt this sacred place, what chance is there for the rest of the world? There are six prophecies, and when complete, Lucifer will come to Earth. He has completed two of the prophecies as of the night before. So at the store, Mickey and Ryan were called by Jack to come to France and bring the files on Astaroth and Lucifer's Bible. Ryan doesn't know how to explain this to his mother. He also mentions that she doesn't feel like his mother anymore since they've been apart for so long. Which you could see, especially at the airport, how uncomfortable he is. Right. Yeah. I would be too. Yeah. Back in France, Jack is with the priest and Sister Adele. She is with patients and Jack talks to the priest in the hallway. The priest tells him that the higher-ups are considering the problem, but since the autopsies reports the nuns died of natural causes, they're leaning in the direction that there's nothing satanic happening. Jack tries to speak to some of the attendees who were there for the feast outside, who all seem to be leaving the area, but none of them will talk to him. They just want to get out. So a blind man sitting out on the stairs laughs creepily and tells Jack in a creepy voice that Lucifer is coming. He says he knows this because he saw his prophet who took his eyes and gave him an eternal sight. But Jack can't get any more information out of him. Now, can we talk about the makeup? Are you talking about the guy with uh, no eyes? Yeah. It looked like two fried eggs? Yes. <laughs> it was horrible. And there was like white stuff running down his face. Why? It looked like glue. 
Yes, that's what it looked like. Like they left the glue on. I don't know what they thought it looked like, but it looked like they made a mistake and left all the glue running down his face. That's exactly what it looked like. (laughs) (laughs) At the airport, Mickey goes to check them in so Ryan can spend time with his mother before they leave. Like I said, the mother kind of gives me the creeps. At first I thought, like I said, there was something up with her and I thought she was part of this whole thing. But now that I think about things, I think there's another reason for her being there. But she still kind of is weird. She kind of just like follows him without saying anything and just stares at him, you know? It's like he walks and she she walks to keep up with him. Like like somebody's little brother following him around that he doesn't want following him around. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah, 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 yeah. And she just keeps just staring at him. She never says anything until when it's almost time to get on the plane. And like I said, Ryan looks uncomfortable around her. So they stop to watch children with some nuns singing to a little girl in a wheelchair. She's with her father. Their church raised money to send her to France to the feast to be healed. Ryan's mother finally speaks and says if there's a God... She's sure that he'll take care of the girl. She's also worried about Ryan's safety. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Space, the final frontier, or is it? Discover the podcast of a couple of moms who love Star Trek and happen to have kids on the autism spectrum. Join Vicki and Elizabeth as we explore strange new worlds, the Star Trek Discovery series, autism, and whatever else comes to mind. We're Moms Going Boldly, and you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. Hey, Dud Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka. You can listen at EurekaRewatch.com on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. While boarding the plane, Mickey and Ryan speak to the little girl in line. Her name's Christina. When Ryan shakes her hand, she begins to hyperventilate like seizing and tells Ryan not to go to France. Her father gives her something and tells Ryan it happens sometimes, so they didn't think as much of it as they should have, I guess. But she turns again and begs him not to go before they board the plane. So in France, Jack and the priest are taking Sister Adele to a prayer room under the altar. They plan on locking her in to keep her safe. She doesn't see the point, but Jack thinks that keeping her alive will stop further prophecies from being completed. But she tells Jack she's only a symbol. She tells him about her life, that her parents died, and she was raised by nuns, and how much faith she's had since she was a child. Mm-hmm. My life is not important. I am only a symbol. What do you mean, sister? My parents died when I was very young, and I was raised by the sisters here. But even before I saw the Blessed Mother, I believed in God's power. I had faith. That's probably why you were granted your vision. Yes, I had the faith of a child. Sister, I've learned that though we can't stop evil, we can remove the tools by which it's committed. Now, is there anything you haven't told me about this book of Lucifer? But Jack tells her that they may not be able to stop evil, but they can collect the tools that used to commit the evil. He asks if there's anything about the book of Lucifer that she hasn't told him, and she says that there's nothing, which I don't believe, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So they leave and tell her to lock the door. But as the scene ends, she still is just sitting there. She isn't locking the door. I was getting nervous. So we're at Jack's room and Jack is reading a passage from the Bible that says the children of God will be man's salvation. While he's doing that, the man, who we now know as Astaroth, begins reciting from his book. Let's have our bed for it, our relief. 
Cirque for thee. And behold, a vile beast came up out of the earth. Cirque for a I. And he had two horns and spoke as a dragon blasphemy against God. And at 3.33, lightning strikes and the bells ring. Sister Adele prays, we still don't know if she ever locked the door. Astaroth reads the next prophecy. And it is written that on the fifth night those who tortured minds and souls were filled with his presence. And the works of the holy were undone. And the works of the holy were undone. It partially says the works of the holy were undone. We see Sister Adele's psych patients begin to be affected by evil, I guess. They're all attacking each other, and a nurse and some orderlies come into the room. They kill her and throw one of the orderlies out the window. So that's her work being undone. Jack and most of the town are out on the street. Sister Dell is praying harder. The priest runs to the hospital and sees the carnage in the patient's room. The townspeople are watching the patients hanging and yelling out the window in the direction of another window where Jack notices a light. Jack goes to that building and pulls off the wood that's boarding up the door. He gets inside and looks around. Astaroth grabs him by the throat. There are going to be a lot of clips in this because there's just way too many speeches here. But anyway, he talks about Lucifer's ascension when the prophecies are complete. He tells Jack to see Lucifer's works to come. And then he opens his eyes wide and Jack can see a montage of disasters, bombs, fires, destruction, and other things. That kind of looked like a familiar clip, like it was used like in a million different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He throws Jack off the banister, and, and, and all I could do was laugh, because all I could think of when he threw Jack off the banister is, who keeps fixing that banister? Retractable <laughs> <laughs> one. It retracts. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could think of. It took me right out of it. I'm never going to not think about that when somebody goes over a banister. <laughs> flashback flash to a previous episode. And who keeps on fixing this banister? <laughs> How many people fell off of that banister? <laughs> I never thought about the banister. That's <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, they, they died, and I'm going, how many people have been over this banister? <laughs> I'm looking at it going, and it's repaired. <laughs> Everybody's falling off of this thing. So he throws Jack off the banister, and Jack looks dead when he hits the ground. He has his eyes open, and it's creepy. Mickey and Ryan arrive at the hospital. The hospital's dealing with the aftermath of the carnage. They ask for Jack, and they're directed to his room. So, he's not dead. But he's not responsive, and he still has his eyes open, which is totally creepy. You know, I keep wanting to say this, and I and I don't, but I'm going to. I still think they all hate each other. In the last few episodes, it's like they're not together. I feel like they don't want to work together. That's what I feel like. Oh, okay. Like, Jack was in France, and Mickey was with Johnny, and then Ryan was with his mother. And then when Mickey and Ryan are together, they're not together all that long, and then they get to France, and Jack is in a coma. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe it's just me reading into things, but that's what it's felt like. And I said that way back when, you know, there was an episode without Jack. There's been a few episodes without Jack, and that's understandable, but... Then there was an episode with just Jack and without Mickey and Ryan, which was an oddity, you know? And yeah. it just always seems like they're separate. But it could be just me reading into things. So Sister Dell is in the room with Jack and, and tells Mickey and Ryan that the village has become a battleground. And this will happen to all of them. She tells them about Astaroth and the danger of Lucifer walking the earth. Like somebody needs to tell us the danger, you know? Like, oh, you know, if Lucifer walks the earth, it's dangerous. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> 
So outside, people begin arriving to be healed. They're all going to that sacred spot that we saw at the beginning of the episode. The priest is blessing people with the water. When I saw him blessing people with the water, I remembered something the sister said, and it didn't click with me earlier. But Sister Adele said that the Blessed Mother, in her vision, blessed the water so it would become healing water, but warned of Astaroth coming in 10 years. And that's the way it was put. To me, a blessing with a 10-year limit, which was not really the way it was put when the sister described it. Oh, okay. But kind of what it sounds like. It sounds more like making a deal with the devil. Now, I've watched 15 seasons of Supernatural, so I'm not... I know what I'm talking about. I'm thinking, it's like you get 10 years of this, but after 10 years, I'm taking your soul. Well, there's... Yeah, I guess there's always a price to be paid. Right. So I'm thinking that the Blessed Mother... Or whoever she saw in her vision was really not the blessed mother at all, mm-hmm. but part of this Lucifer plan. <laughs> like, she was conned. Because she does say, I had the faith of a child. In my mind, which means she didn't have the wherewithal to consider that this might not be the blessed mother. Right. You know what right. I'm saying? And it just hit me when they were at the grotto with the water. It's like, I'm wondering if that's what happened. Just like the antiques. The antiques will give you money and fame, but here's the downside. You know what I mean? Right, right. So that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking she didn't have a blessed mother vision at all. And I could be wrong, but that's what I thought of when I heard the 10 years and when I saw him healing people with the water. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's something wrong here. Right, though, you said right. We also see Astaroth following the crowd, carrying the book. The little girl and her father arrive, and she's convinced there'll be a miracle today. And she says, I believe there'll be a miracle today. She doesn't say the miracle would be for her, which could mean nothing, but that just kind of jumped out at me. But Astaroth hears her say this, and he looks pleased. Mickey wants to get Jack to an American hospital, but they can't move him while he's still in shock. They decide to look into the files Jack asked for to try and figure out what's going on. Astaroth goes to the other side of the healing pond. He reads another prophecy, this time about the eve of his ascension. Holy places were turned against the holy. So as soon as he said that, I thought the people he was pouring water on were all going to die. Okay. Because he said holy places were turned against the holy. So I thought the priest was going to actually kill people by pouring the water on them. Oh, okay. But that's not the way it worked. He recites that all faith departed from the world. The wind blows and the water looks muddy, but Christina tells the priest to keep the faith. This reinforced his wavering faith, and he puts his hands in the water, but so does Astaroth. He screams in pain, and Christine screams as well. So she knew he needed help to keep his faith, but then she did sense that something was wrong, because you could see her face right before he put his hand in the water. (laughs) So people in town were running around. I don't know why. Was it the wind? Did they hear the screaming? Or were they running away from the grotto? I don't know what was going on, but Mickey and Ryan were running with them. I have no clue. (laughs) Okay. So the priest hand is scalded. Astaroth begins praising Lucifer's power as Mickey and Ryan arrive at the grotto. Ryan notices the book in his hand. Astaroth proclaims that one among them will be his deliverer. And he points at Ryan, I think. I'm not exactly sure that he pointed at Ryan, but he pointed. Astaroth begins to run away and Mickey and Ryan chase him. Ryan is way ahead of Mickey, so far ahead that she lost him. Mickey and some of the townspeople are running around looking for him as well. Astaroth runs into a dead-end alley. When Ryan arrives at the alley, he sees the book on the ground, but no Astaroth. Ryan goes in to get the book and yells for Mickey, but Astaroth jumps out of somewhere and knocks him out, and he lands behind some debris. 
Astra bends down to where Ryan is, and when Mickey arrives, she can't see either one of them, and continues running and looking for Ryan. Astaroth reads another prophecy over Ryan's unconscious body about the new disciple coming forth, which I guess Ryan's going to be the disciple. Then it came to pass that a new disciple came forth, and by his deeds, Lucifer gained entrance into the realm of the flesh and the spirit. His disciple was marked by the sign of the beast. He opens Ryan's shirt and scratches the sign of the beast 666 in his chest. So this is where I decided to end because because of the running time of the episode and because it's kind of a cliffhanger. Um, mm-hmm. so we'll start from this point next time. So the cursed antique in this episode, which is not really a cursed antique at all, it's just evil, is one of the three books of Lucifer that makes the prophecies written in it real. Though magical, it's not one of Vendredi's antiques. So what did you think about this part? Part one. It was a little confusing. And then the, what I watched on YouTube was a little dark. So trying to figure out the faces. So I was kind of confused at one point, like, who's who? And So you didn't get your DVD player working, apparently? No. All right. It was confusing to me because there was a lot. And this is probably one I should have watched first and then watched again to take notes because it was a lot. I, you know, I didn't want to miss things taking notes. Usually it takes me three hours to take notes on an episode. And this one, it took like over four because there was just so much going on. And I didn't want to miss things. But, I, you know, I try not to write everything. But then I don't want to miss something important, especially if I'm watching it for the first time as I'm taking notes because I don't know what's important. Right, yeah. Agree with you there. It was a lot. It was a lot, and so I'm glad we did split it up. We'd still be, yeah. I'd still be sitting in front of the TV typing. <laughs> so. yeah, I'd still probably be confused. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was. It was good, but it was a lot. I think maybe just because they're in France and they're trying to stop evil from spreading all over the world. This episode so far, I mean, I don't know what the second part's like, reminds me of the warehouse episode, A New Hope, when they were trying to get the astrolabe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To change time and save the warehouse and stop Pandora's box from spreading evil all over the world. Yes, 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 yes. It so much reminded me of that. But I did like this so far. It was just a lot. And I think I probably would like it better and not maybe think it was a lot if I wasn't taking notes on it. Like if I was just watching it to watch it. Yeah, well, that's what I kind of do. I don't take notes. Right. So I was kind of like, I was just like going, ooh. Okay. Yeah, so you thought it was a lot, even though you were just watching it to watch it. Yeah, yeah. it was a lot. Because at one point, it was probably like it was all over the place. <laughs> it was. And I need to stop trying to figure out every little thing, because the prophecies are driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. I, when he says the beast rises and the, then the dog attacks, okay, that makes sense. There was a couple that kind of made sense, but that first one was making me nuts. Because I couldn't figure out who was the messenger, who was the one leading the way, who was the one speaking. <laughs> so I have to stop doing that do you have anything else no that's it oh and i forgot so i guess that the expression on mickey's face at the end of the last episode of season two that i thought Mm -hmm. might mean that she was going to use the ladder or or she was possessed by liza Mm -hmm. lewis's second in command i guess that was nothing but a strange face uh so far anyway Mm -hmm. 
So I don't know, but I was convinced that something was up with that. Maybe eventually it will be, but I figured we would see it in this episode, but we didn't. All right, so we'll be back next week with part two, and we'll start where we left off. We'll see you then. See you then. <laughs> Bye. Are you going to marry me? This is Doug, reminding you to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash 13th Warehouse, on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse, and on Instagram at Eureka underscore Warehouse. You can listen to The 13th Warehouse on our website, the13thwarehouse.com, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Theme music for The 13th Warehouse, Friday the 13th, the series edition, Suspense Night, Provided by Anton Kornienko. Pixabay user 147-98912. Free for personal or commercial use. See you next time at the warehouse.